Anita, how's your mental health? <laughs> Questionable <laughs> at all times. You know this. Yeah. How's the mental health of your children? Um, also a little bit tricky. Can I tell you my experience in trying to find therapists for myself and my kids, Mel? Yes, please. Okay. This is how it goes. You ask around your friends and your family for a referral for somebody who's nearby. You finally find somebody who sounds like they might work for your family. You give them a call and you find out that A, they're not accepting new patients or B, they have a huge wait list. So you start over again and you ask people if they know anybody who would be a good therapist and a good fit. Finally, you find one, you go and you meet with them and you figure out that you don't actually like them that much. But it's been so much work to find somebody who you can go to in your area that you're kind of stuck with them. Well, do you have any ideas for how to get around this? Um, I do, because guess what? I've actually had some therapists that I have found on my own, which involves what you're saying. Sometimes I remember one time I was like three hours in the bathtub on my phone looking through yeah. websites. I was such a prune at the end. But I have also had the experience with working with BetterHelp and it was like, I, I don't want to say too good to be true, but because it is true, but it's like amazing because I was matched with my therapist within 24 hours. And you didn't have to go through all of that other ridiculous process of trying to find somebody. And here's the cool thing too, is if that person didn't work out for you, you can just switch and say, and it's not like you're committing to another years long search for somebody who you're going to jive with. It's true. And I lucked out or maybe just BetterHelp is really good at matching people together because I never had to change my therapist. I loved her. Perfect fit for me. And I know that some of our friends have used BetterHelp and they've had to change therapists and boom, same day can change. Easy peasy. You can ghost your therapist. <laughs> Get a new one. I love this idea. BetterHelp is one of our sponsors. If you use our promo code, trybetterhelp.com slash WWDN, you get 10% off your first month and we totally recommend it. Yes. Get some therapy. That's <laughs> trybetterhelp.com slash WWDN. Well, Anita. Hi. We did uh, it. We survived another Thanksgiving weekend in America. Yeah. yeah. How was your Thanksgiving it happened and it was fine. My mom did really well. I asked her how she was doing since it was our first Thanksgiving without my dad. And she goes, it's actually been really good. And I had a good anniversary too, because it was their like something 45th or sixth wedding anniversary. So that was good. Um, For me, I this always happens when I'm telling people that, look, I'm finally doing kind of okay. The next day, it crashes. So that's annoying. Yeah, I'm just not. I don't know. I mean, we're in the holidays and there's trauma and and I'm here and that's about it. <laughs> that's all I got. Good. What about you? Gosh, I don't. It's so hard because it all gets just jumbled together. I, I had some em emotions this week because for whatever reason, I went in. Oh, I know why. I I got a funny wrong number message on my phone and it reminded me of something. This guy who's like, hey, it's Trevor. I'm interested in buying your mobile home park in Louisiana. <laughs> it's like, what? I would definitely sell it if I had it, but I don't have one of those. Anyway, um, and it reminded me of a funny story with another wrong call where a guy called me and <laughs> thought I was Kathy and wanted me to buy some hog feed. Yes. And 
it was the funniest, funniest uh, voicemail. And when I made Jason listen to it, he was like, Anita, we got to call him back. And I was like, no, we don't. And he's like, yes, we do. And so he called back this guy and had the funniest conversation. And he was like, well, Kathy's not going to know. And the hogs are going to go hungry. And so he called this random guy back. <laughs> Anyway, so then I started listening to voicemails and I spent a long time that day listening to voicemails. And it was so funny because, I mean, we don't have a lot of voicemails anymore because in our time period we text, right? But for whatever reason, I still have a bunch. And it's probably because I, like he was driving or, you know, couldn't text. But a third of them were just like mundane, you know tell me what time or the person's coming this time a third of them were like loving and had messages that were heartwarming and a third of them he was annoyed <laughs> and it made me laugh because I was like yeah you know everything wasn't perfect all of the time and sometimes he'd be trying to get a hold of me and he couldn't get a hold of me and so he'd call me and be like what the heck you know like answer your dang phone Anita so I even enjoyed listening to the ones where I could clearly see or clearly hear that he was irritated with me. So that was kind of something that happened right before Thanksgiving. And then Thanksgiving was fine, except my kids were just acting terribly. And I was like, I can't manage all four of you at the same time. And I hate feeling like I'm disturbing other people, which is how I felt. Um, but the holiday itself didn't feel bad if that makes sense yeah that's my story but funnily enough last thanksgiving right before thanksgiving for whatever reason i decided that i needed to go to the head headstone shop and the same thing this year like i was like okay it's time and so i um got in touch with a new guy and i have good hopes i have i have high hopes for this one mel oh good 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 fingers crossed mm -hmm. everybody cross your fingers um it was a totally different experience and if it goes well i think i'll see if he wants to be on the podcast because it was a much different experience because like i feel like most of the people are like do you want a single or a double here's the book of clip art you know do you want a rose or a poppy or a chrysanthemum <laughs> or an eagle or a trout you know and those are like your choices <laughs> do you want times new roman or do you want comic sans you know Ew. for me they're like oh well you should get a music note because you're a piano player i'm like why mm -hmm. weird okay yeah i'm not this dead it's not like that so yeah he just asked me a lot of questions about Jason. So he was like, I want to get to know him. And um, we talked about the things he liked and didn't like and his favorite colors and his personality. And then he's like, okay, I'm going to go draw something. So we'll see where it goes. I'll keep you guys in the know. Wait, is he making his own shape? Probably. Oh my gosh. That's so cool. I didn't have those options. And you know yeah. what? You're happy about it. Or you're okay with it. Listen, even though my name is on Scott's headstone, Anita, I'm changing my mind. What? We can just put that I died. You know, the nameplate, because it already says my name on there. It just has a birth date, but no death date. Yeah. Just like when I die, put the plate on the death date, but then I want my own. Okay. Headstone. But I don't want to be buried. I First, I want to be cremated and scattered everywhere. <laughs> but I want a headstone. The whole planet. Okay. That's in the shape of the existential crisis duck. That's what I want. <laughs> I want that as my headstone. Can that guy make that happen? I'm sure he can. 
Yeah. So yeah, okay. consider it done. Unless he dies before you do. And then I don't know. He might have like a family owned business and maybe his child will take <laughs> over. Well, that's good. Let's so. let's uh keep abreast of that situation and see what you do or yes. what he does. I have a story. Tell me. Okay. Holidays are always stupid. I've hated them for a long time, mostly because I've had a lot of uh, death my whole adult life. And so it's kind of been out of order situations. And so I'm like, I just can't wait until like normal life resumes. So there's routine and everybody's back at their day jobs and I can go do the things that I like to do in peace. (laughs) So it seemed like every day this week has been like a Friday. It's like, Mm -hmm. it's like seven days of Fridays. Yes. And then Anyway, some friends and I went to the skate park the day after Thanksgiving. We're like, okay, it'll be fine. Like, whatever, we go. And I have never had the experiences that I had. Like, I got run into three times with people on skateboards that I had to push off off of me. One of them was, uh, like, he was not well. He was either very men- mentally disturbed or um, on something. And I think it was probably both. But, yeah, like, stalking me for an hour at the skate park and then ran into me and the the air just felt weird everything felt edgy wherever we went and i said bad words <gasps> screaming bad words when he was like on me but yeah. I, sh- I should i shoved him off and i said bad words and my mom would not be proud of me and there were children around but you know who was proud of me my sister <laughs> oh mel and so then after that we were all like um we're all not gonna leave our houses until the weekend's over and so i left one time to go play at the church that i play at and i wore a cat a cat hat Mm -hmm. to keep people away yeah but they liked it i didn't think they Mm -hmm. would um but i'm just so glad the weekend's over i hate it i hate it i hate it then in the widow wives club today i posted to see how everyone was doing and i would say 90 percent is like i hate this this sucks <laughs> not okay but yeah. i'm glad for the 10 percent that had like decent posts for themselves so yeah. you know congrats. what i'm happy about too is i'm happy that people aren't afraid to post the bad but also aren't afraid to post if they had a good thanksgiving or a good holiday right so sometimes i feel like we think we need it to be bad um, because if it's bad, it somehow honors our person or we don't want to upset the people who did have a bad holiday, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. I love the fact that it can be, it can be whatever it is. You can be honest about how your time went. If it was bad, sorry, that sucks. If it was great, hooray. You know, if it was in the middle, cool. So yeah. Yeah, I noticed that same thing when I was reading through the comments. I was like, that's so awesome that everybody like really feels okay being however they are in the moment Mm -hmm. and saying that so thanks guys we love you so much and if you're in the widow wives club you may have noticed that we do have our new official widow wives club mascot t-shirt the existential crisis duck t-shirt now available in the store get it before (laughs) it goes away if you want it or don't it's okay too just a little reminder as christmas and the holidays are approaching we have a few um, activities that we're doing in the widow wives club to provide support to our members we're doing a card exchange a gift exchange which we found out that you can check if you want to deliver internationally or not so 
no worries. You can sign up for and not get signed up to send something to Guam if you don't want to. I don't think we have any members in Guam, but that'd be cool if we did. And uh, then we're doing an Adopt-A-Widow. So if you want to donate a little bit of money to some of our members who might be struggling financially this year, we're going to pass that along to them. And uh, we just hope that this uh, holiday season will be okay and that giving a little bit and being connected will help a little bit. Yes. And if you're listening to this podcast in real time and you are not in the Widow Wives Club, but would like to help donate to those things or participate, you well, you can't really participate in the gift exchange if you're not in there. But if you do want to donate to a widow in need, please email us at widowwedonow at gmail.com. We can help facilitate that. If you want to keep the podcast going, consider checking out our Patreon. Patreon is a way for listeners to help support the creators of podcasts like us. It's patreon.com slash WWDN. And if you join, you get things like a shout out an episode and ad free content. So there's more, but you can go check it out at the place Anita said. Patreon.com slash WWDN. We are going to do our shout out right meow. You're in a kitty mood. Just love cats because they just don't care. They're like, I'm a cat. What? What's your problem? All right. We're going to start with our secret dead husband. And to her, we say, A widow for you and a widow for me. That's the turkey song. Eh, what is that it. song? From Adam Sandler. Oh. Thanksgiving okay. is a special time. Wids giving is a special time. Ooh, there you go. Constance Dahlbeck. David. Don Satterwhite. Emily Wesenberg. Evelyn Flores, welcome! Hi, Evelyn. Gail Bell. Heather Mullins. Ivan Meisner. Kat. Krista Waite. Maya Glasser. Neil Hooper. Becky. Zebra. <laughs> Sam Finlayson. Amber. Alaniz Vela. Amy Hartman-Martell. Amy Neal. Ashley Hahn. Barbara Schneeberger. Randy Younger. Brittany Pedro. Chris Steffen. Cindy Wilkerson. Danielle Ketterberg. Not a Debbie Downer. Dennis Brazo. Jean Marie Massey. Jen O'Brien. Jenny Taylor. Jennifer Beal. Jennifer Brown. Jenny Wang. Jesse Johnson. Carol Schultz. Kelly Ford. Laura Aguirre Penner. Lauren Old. Lisa Hardman Powell. Lou Clausen. Marie Hoffman. M.K. Anderson. Meg Murto. Patricia Wiest. Rachel Barbosa. Sarah Morris. Simone Fu. Sunshine Haven. And Sylvia Thanksgiving Shore. Taylor Snyder. Erin Cornejo. Amy Burke. Anne Drennan. Anna Tracy. Audrey Henniger. Christina Scambato. Christine Anderson. Cindy Raynon. Connie Remich. Woohoo! Here you are! Don Barber. Debbie Fells. Deborah Westwood. Diana Becker. Doris Rachel. Is it Rachel? <laughs> I think so. Doris I, Rachel, is that how you say your name? Please let us know if we're wrong. Eileen Stevens Dem. Emily Toledo. Eric Vandermulen. Aaron Posick. Gabe Lozano. Gia Benoit. Gina Haas. Ian Sini. Jackie. Sometimes we assume that unless we had a huge life insurance payout, we don't really need to know anything about investments or even finances. But guess what? A little knowledge of finances is critical for all of us. 
Maybe your partner was in charge of that stuff and now you find yourself making all the decisions. Maybe you're mad about that. Maybe I am. Nicole from the He's Gone But The Money's Not podcast is here to help. She tackles financial literacy by telling the stories of women and widows and finance experts and shares the lessons they've learned as certified financial planners. Whether you know a lot and feel confident in your financial decisions or feel unsure about all of that stuff, there is more to learn. Listen and subscribe to the He's Gone But The Money's Not podcast on all podcast platforms. This ad was paid for by Rock House Financial, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Ileana Bell. Mi mamacita. Another secret patron. Jennifer Davis. Jenny Armstrong. Jenny Barrow. Jocelyn Milo. Johnny Walker. Judy Malkin. <laughs> yes! In the right place. And only once. Only Judy knows that joke. <laughs> Julie Stevenson. Karen Ochoa. Karina Jacobo. Kathy Murray. Katie Getz. Katie Radcliffe. Kara Scara. Kevin Ferry. Chris Morgan. Laura Keeley. Lindsay Kanavka. You got it. Marjorie Lewis. Marianne Hammond. Marianne McDonald. Mary McGowan. Megan Montague. Melissa Bowers. Melissa Hancock. Naomi Brown. Rebecca Olamaker. Robin Flam. Stacey Saywert. Tammy Terravist. Tara Wallace. Trenton Thompson. Feel better. Val Packer. The manager. And soon to be boss of the world. Oh, wow. Yeah. You can do Wendy. Okay. And finally, we have Wishbone Wendy. <laughs> Thank you to everybody who supports us on Patreon. We really, really, really couldn't do this without you, you guys. So we really appreciate you making this possible for the other people who can't support us at this time. Yes. Thank you so much. We love you and you mean so much to us. So thank you. And if you would like to support the podcast, but are not able to do Patreon right now, consider buying us tacos at buymeacoffee.com slash widow we do now. And a very free way to support us is to give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It really helps us in the rankings. But please so people give can us, find us a good rating, not a bad one. Oh, yeah. You hate us, then just don't do one. And another way you can help widows and spreading the widow word is by sharing your favorite episode of the podcast with friends and family or those who might be supporters of a griever. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. All right. Shall we Shall we get to our episode? Yep. Hope you guys love our new Aunt Connie. She's the Aww. best. All right. I'm Anita. I'm Mel. We're two young widows. We're plowing into the holiday season, and we're just trying to help you figure out, Widow. We do. Now, why do the holidays keep happening? (laughs) Yeah, Anito. (laughs) This interview has been harder than it looks because we had a once in a universe flub where the time zones screwed us over so we're so happy that we're finally getting to talk to you today to our special guest so let's introduce our special guest this is drumroll connie remich connie welcome thank you very much glad to be with you um connie where are you i am in tucson arizona Yes, this is where our difficulty came because we're both in the same time zone, but Arizona does not observe daylight savings and Utah does. And so we 
were an hour apart while we were trying to to record. So (laughs) we figured it out. It took some brain power, but here we are. Thank you so much for joining us from Arizona, Connie. You're welcome. I'm really glad to. Um, Connie has a complicated, long story. So we want to like jump to the beginning. Yes. Okay. All right. And worse, I'm Irish. So trying to tell a short story is kind of genetically (laughs) difficult. (laughs) I live in Tucson now. My husband and I moved here five years ago, which was, he had been retired for a while. So I retired. We moved here and specifically moved to a particular retirement community and heavy on the word community in the best sense. So friends in Des Moines would say, so tell me about Tucson. I said, we don't really know a lot about Tucson. We're moving to the Voyager. (laughs) You're moving off planet. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you guys like have fun activities there and pickleball and all sorts of cool things? Tons, Mm -hmm. including lots of pickleball. Nice. Mm -hmm. I love pickleball. Mm -hmm. It's the best. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Where did you grow up, Connie? I grew up in Southeast Iowa and went to college at the University of Iowa in Iowa City and then moved to Des Moines and was there mostly thereafter. Okay. What did you, what did you study? What did you become in your life? Well, um, I became a, a licensed mental health and addictions counselor. Oh, that's useful. Which I did for 41 years. Uh-huh. So retired from that five years ago. Wow. So basically, everybody, Connie is our sensei. <laughs> <laughs> I'm certainly wearing two hats, that's for sure. So we happen to know that your story is more complicated than just one dead spouse. So let's rewind and let's learn a little bit about your earlier life when you first met your first person, shall we? Mm-hmm. So we first met in 1983 in, uh, I'll spare you the details, but in a humanly, completely impossible, ridiculous way. And I want to hear about it now. You can't, you can't say. Oh, no. Tell us, tell us. This therapist in private practice who were wanting to explore a particular direction in our therapy and not knowing how to do that. And so over a period of time, we said, you know, we got to do this. We got to do this. But we didn't really have a resource to use, blah, blah, blah. Eventually, some of us found ourselves at an inner healing uh, workshop over the weekend. And said, oh, wait, this is it. This is this is it. This is what we want to do. And so we set up this combination study and, and really prayer group as well. Uh, Jay sold commercial and industrial heating, ventilation, and air conditioning equipment. He was the only man in the room. He was the only non-therapist in the room. He should not have been there. <laughs> One of the therapists invited him because she wanted her therapist husband to join. and He didn't want to be the only guy. He and Jay knew and liked each other. So Jay showed up, I'm, you know, flattered to be asked, actually. And PJ never did. So it was Jay thereafter. Uh-huh. And we ended up going out for coffee that night. Um, and and he was completely open, honest, transparent, authentic, which included he was also recovering and uh, three years sober at that point. So his story, you know, a lot of it wasn't pretty. And, and I said to him later, you know, if you had blown any smoke by me I would have been out of there it would have been over and he said yeah I just felt like I had to be really open and honest with you and he he said and honestly that wasn't my usual thing with a woman (laughs) Mm. 
there's so much more that's just amazing with that. But anyway, we we did not marry right away. We didn't marry or live together for 20 months. Um, he also had full, full, full uh, custody of his four teenagers. And uh-huh. Whoa. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, you know, they all needed time to adjust. And uh, me too, frankly, I was, I had no children. I had two cats and houseplants and they had two dogs and two cats. So, I mean, it was a, a complex merger, uh, but we got married in 1985. And then in 1996, late, he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Boo. And initial prognosis, yeah, initial prognosis six months, and we actually got twelve with a couple of experimental drugs that kept him alive somewhat longer. It's you know, I've thought so many times that when is it a good day to be told you're going to make it twelve months? Well, that's when you're expecting six months, mm-hmm. because even that seemed so bad. I mean, when he was diagnosed, I was forty-five, and I and, and he died shortly after I turned forty-six, and there were the difficulties at that time too with kids and. My friend group in the little town where we were living imploded, having nothing to do with us, but then it affected us. And so all kinds of support and connections just evaporated. So even in 97, people, well, I mean, we weren't really talking about mental health publicly as much as now and grief. So I'm sorry that your friends ditched you. That sucks. Well, and it, it was particularly surprising because all of our close friends are also recovering. Uh, so yesterday was the 45th anniversary of burying Jay, but it was also my, did I say 41st, 25th anniversary of burying him. I just aged myself a lot there. Um, <laughs> and, and it was my 41st sobriety birthday. And so I've always treasured having that alongside, you know, to be able to celebrate did you go into your mental are you in a licensed mental, mental health mental licensed mental health certified addictions okay did you is that like lm L- 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 lmfao is that what that what it is chmhc no. <laughs> sometimes or are you lcsw i was i was a licensed mental health counselor because i'm a counselor but then there are then there are clinical social workers with similar though different training and they have a different designation. Okay. Did you become a therapist because you were in recovery and you wanted to help other people to to find that as no, well? No. No. Oh. I know. I, um, I had a natural draw my entire, I was kind of like the dear Abby of my classes all the time growing yeah. up. Uh, listener, empathic. I, have, I, I swear I came out of the shoot being able to see both sides of the, of the thing and, and valuing that. Um, and so I, that was just a role that I slipped into very naturally went to college because I didn't really know what I wanted to be, but I knew I didn't want to be a secretary, a wife, a factory worker, a waitress. So college, it was for six and a half years there. I was involved with a man who the first two years was sober, but I didn't know anything about alcoholism at all. Um, but he resumed drinking. And he was one of the very extreme alcoholics, not in an abusive sense, but he could either not drink at all or he was drunk 24-7 and waking up in the middle in withdrawal. I mean, it was really, really awful. And in the name of um, naivete and loyalty, and I got mad at him a lot, but I also got with him that he wasn't just a jerk. He was very, very ill. I mean, I didn't, I didn't understand any, but I knew he was ill. 
and could not leave a sick person. So, um, and, and that's while I was in college. So in the midst of that, I decided I, I, I majored first in psych, social work, and sociology, and then went on to get a master's in counseling with a specialty emphasis in addictions. So that the relationship with him is what drove the addictions piece. Hmm. Knew I wanted to first work in addiction treatment. Also knew I didn't want to retire there, but I, I worked in the addiction field for about eight years. And that's a whole other topic, living with an addict and, yeah. and, and what's the line for helping? What's the line for enabling? How does it affect you? It's like you're kind of caretaking. So you've been through a lot of stuff. I have the good news is I kind of have at least dabbling life experience in a lot of things, which made it easy for me to relate to most of my clients. Hmm. That's a good way to think about that. I mean, you know, as, as in widowhood, even if you've been through kind of the same thing, it's not the same thing and you don't experience it the same, but, but boy, that eliminates a lot of explaining to have to do. I mean, you mm-hmm. just kind of get some things. Yeah. yeah. I have a question for you about your first marriage in the teenagers, because some people have written into us and asked us for advice on being a step parent or how to deal with the, with death and grief. If you are the step parent, how, how do you do it? By the time he died, they were ages 28 to 33 and had already just a mm, year and a half before lost their oldest brother ed at he had just turned 31 he died of kidney cancer oh leaving a 30 year old widow and four children six and under oh so the family had just been through too much much. i just got chills again just so much and then they lost their dad who was not technically but practically their only parent Mm -hmm. so um, it was tough it's rough so you were 46, you said, when you became a widow. Mm-hmm. What was life like after that? What did you What did you do? The good news and the bad news all in one is I was in private practice by then, which meant um, I have no 401k. I have no paid leave at all. Uh, not unlike being a musician. <laughs> and, uh, and so I had to go back to work. Had to. It was not optional. And on the one hand, I, I don't have children. And, and so I think about that with, with widows, with children, especially younger kids, that on the one hand, that is, with my apologies to children, phenomenal extra burden. And yet also, you'll get out of bed, put your pants on, eat your cereal and start moving because you have to. You know, so that's that's how my job worked for me. And I was in so, so much pain that the goodness of doing my work is it was an ever-present reminder that my pain was not the only pain in the entire world. I mean, you know, it's, I mean, it's one thing to know that in abstract theory, of course, but it's another one to have somebody in front of you crying, hurting, struggling with their own deal. And that, that again, was sometimes burdensome. But but mostly it also did during those hours draw me out of myself or, you know, somewhat anyway. Um, and other people's pain and, and well-being matter to me. So if, if I'd been doing some kind of work that didn't matter as much to me, I think that would have been very different. But that did matter to me in my very heart of hearts. Um, so I could show up for that. Uh, unfortunately, so the Internet wasn't really much of a thing at that point. And um, 
certainly not social groups. Um, and so I, I went to, I found one widow and widower support group in Des Moines. I went twice. I was easily um, the youngest by at least 20 years and more. And um, this one still hurts me, honestly. Well, more right now being freshly widowed again. But not one person in that room spoke to me. Oh, ah, bad widows. God. Not even, not even hello. I mean, oh. and I don't know if they thought I was cruising for the old guys. I mean, I have no oh my God. <laughs> that had to be it. That had to be it. I, I clearly was looking, right? Shopping oh the selections. Oh, that's oh. a bad place And so to that shop. was really painful. So I went back a second time thinking, okay, any group can have an off night, right? But no, it was the same thing all over again. So I gave that up. So then I was just so isolated. Um, not unlike my my daughter-in-law who'd been widowed at 30, although it was even worse for her. But with the kids' activities, she she got you know, out, got, was able yeah. to connect with some people, right? Yeah. I unfortunately became very, very depressed. And um, every night, much of the weekend, I would go home to my dogs. I had to get up for them too. And, and play Tetris and just zone for hours and hours and hours. You are my not, people, Connie. Not, <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> like, are you talking to myself? <laughs> Let's hang out, Connie. I love you. <laughs> really? <laughs> that would have been fine distraction. And I start, and I still do some of that where I start into it for relaxation, you know, taking a load off my brain. And and I am enjoying it at first, but then I'm really doing, I mean, I'm actually even getting more irritated the longer I do it because I'm bored. And yet I kind of, some in that in that zone, which is later at night before bedtime. One of the things that I um, I have done right is uh, reading, well, I, can't, I can never read in this state, but I listen to a lot of audio content, so pods and books. And so lots of fellow widow stuff. I have been so, so... Thank you, thank you, thank you both for putting this together and, and the Widow Wives Club with, with Facebook um, because I think it works a lot like AA, not in the sense that there's any structured you know, steps or anything like that to it, but in the sense that there is so much explaining you don't have to do. Mm-hmm. You know, you share your particulars, but you don't have to explain if you if a little thing is really a big widow win because it is right mm-hmm. or if you are however long in and again can't hit your butt with both hands you know I... <laughs> that's a good way to put it there's a lot that you don't have to explain yeah that sense of finding your community i'm wondering connie if um jay's kids if they didn't have much contact with you, were you still a part of their lives or was it kind of like, well, you're not really our mom anyway. So bye. I mean, it got ugly really really fast and as it does over money. Oh, I hate money. (laughs) I love it. People's reactions to it. Yeah. That's what it, (laughs) thank you. Yes. Yeah. You're welcome. The sensei has. I'm kind of fond of money otherwise. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It beats living out of doors. And so, no, that stayed ugly, and I, I gave it a long time and just felt, as I often have in the marriage in some ways, like I was damned if I didn't, damned if I didn't, that no matter what I did, it was never going to be enough. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm not going into the details because it, 
it sounds like I'm patting myself on the back, but I did some big things. And, um, and it still just was never enough and was never going to be right enough. And so this is kind of arbitrary, but after 10 years of either kind of ugly interaction or mostly no interaction, um, I wrote to them all and said, I, I'm done with you people. I don't deserve oh. this and I'm done. Yeah. Oh, what? Oh, that's so yeah. hard. That was a good, that was a, yeah, it was terrible. That was a good move, however, because otherwise I was sitting there in effect waiting for the phone to ring and I was suffering. I woke up with it. I went to sleep with it. And once I decided to exercise my own agency, I, I hadn't wanted to abandon them, but you know, really it was a fait accompli because they were gone anyway. And, and once I actually took that step and formalized, it's kind of like going to the funeral, right? You know, the person's dead, but then the funeral makes it really, really real. And I, I continued to have pain about it, but the suffering stopped. It yeah. stopped suffering. You know what I, I heard recently? And it was more, it was from some, something about relationships, but this resonates too, because of course a relationship with stepkids is a relationship. And they said, stop being in somebody else's waiting room just like you're waiting for them to come and call you or to open the door and so man right. and that can be hard to get to that point because it's like there's the, been a connection there's you know been life lived together and it's like mm -hmm. that's a big move so my, uh, alfred is my second husband and um so we had both been widowed and we all four had known each other from church um and and so he and I were hanging out together as fresh widows because our, our people died within six months of each other. And I had never been, I, I, there were a lot of things I respected and admired about him, but I had never, ever, ever been attracted to him. Um, I never asked him that question about me and he never volunteered. Man, a few words. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, it, but it just morphed and it morphed early in a way that as the same person and mental health professional, I wouldn't recommend. It was early, but you know, but there it was, and it it was always right, and it remained always right. It could have been one of those tragic. No, I don't know what I was thinking, but but it was really good with us. Um, so so over the years, we would occasionally we, we kind of laughed about this because what are you going to do? Neither of us wanted to be widowed again. But we also didn't want to wish it on the other guy, and so we <laughs> yeah. tongue in we we tongue in cheek prayed for a simultaneous death. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Except um, honestly, I'm not ready to go yet. I've got a lot of aliveness in me, so that wouldn't have worked anyway. Um, but the last time we had that conversation, I said, I mean, I was trying to be serious. I said, oh, you know, I don't think so. I don't think I want to remarry again. But but I might have. I understood my fingers. My fingernails are very very close together. That. I, I there's that much possibility I might have a third marriage in me. Oh, I do gosh. not have a third set of stepkids in me. Uh, and I do not mean that. I don't mean that in the worst way. I just mean it's a lot of moving parts. So Jay had four, Alfred and Bev had five. Now they were older and adult by then. Um, so I was never in any way mom to them. I was dad's wife, but again, not in a snarky way. It was, it yeah. was a good way. So you met Alfred pretty soon after Jay died? We had, the four of us had known each other through church. Yeah. We both did a lot for the Sunday, or sorry, the Saturday evening mass. And so we were there a lot together. And okay. so the four of us started going to um, 
dinner together sometimes on Saturday evenings, got better acquainted. Uh, Bev, Jay, and I ended up in a Bible study slash prayer group together. Um, she kept inviting Alfred. He would have no part of it. He had he was a very private man, and he had participated in one years earlier that was supposed to be all confidential. And somebody had, I don't know what, I don't know. He never said what it was, but somebody had talked out of school about him. And, and uh, flexibility was not his strong suit, so he was done forever. <laughs> so I, I kind of think that it was just because of getting to know Jay and I through, you know, through church and our suppers that he finally decided he'd come and try it. And he didn't say a whole lot, but he showed up. And that meant so much to Bev because she had wanted that for years. Um, so we got we got acquainted, you know, somewhat. So how long after Jay died did you start like officially being together and then getting married? So Jay died in 97 and we got married January 8th of 2000, which it turns out, unbeknownst to me, it was, is Elvis's birthday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you play hound dog as you walked down the aisle? That's what I wanted. No, I threatened, although I never said this to the kids because, you know, no matter what age you are, you never want to picture your parents having sex. Ah! So I, I, I threatened for our, our processional to be hunk a hunk of burn and love. Ah! <laughs> nice oh you guys this is so funny because my dad just had prostate surgery and so i oh. being the resident medical professional in my family have gotten yeah. a lot more information than i ever asked for right exactly <laughs> yeah it's like could i just read about this in a book please oh my gosh <laughs> um okay so connie your life has fallen apart you've rebuilt it you had how long with alfred Jay and I were married 12 and a half years, which was partly why his 25th anniversary yesterday was significant. It was exactly twice as long as we've been married. Alfred and I were almost made our 22nd anniversary. Oh, yeah. That makes me happy. Like that gives me some sense of hope that like you mm -hmm. can have a, a second part of your life and that that can be a long and happy part. But then it makes me also angry because what happened to Alfred? Here we go again. So, yeah. so only three years into our marriage, um, he was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Come and on. I you felt have like the not... worst luck. <laughs> no, <sh> yeah. <laughs> and we didn't mention this on, on while we're recording, but my mom died of cancer when I was 17, right before I graduated from high school. <sighs> Traumatic loss. So it's kind of and then there have been other cancer losses and other close deaths, you know, in between. So it's been kind of my constant companion, it seems. So when he was diagnosed at first, I felt like not only was I on the tracks and the train was coming again, but that I was tied to the tracks. I mean, it was just, and the oncologist was saying, no, 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 this one really is treatable and perhaps curable. Well, I've heard that before, right? I mean, not about Jay's pancreatic cancer, but, you know, a lot of other cancers and then they die. So I, that just always made me really mad because one of the coolest things in the world, as far as I'm concerned, is falsehood. Do not give me false hope. Mm. So I wasn't buying it. Well, it turns out it was true. And so um, took a long time to get it diagnosed. He did very nearly die. Would have if I had not said, I'm taking you to Mayo. I'm done with this. And they figured out what it was. Um, and so he went on to be treated. And 
and, and came back. And with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, it turns out, unlike any other cancer, if it's gone for two full years, it's gone. You're cured. You're cured. And that was, it was gone for six years. And then, so the, the oncologists tell me, here's the weird thing. It's, it's, if you've had a cancer once, it's more likely that your body will create another one. It's not likely it will create the same one again. But here we were with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma again. And it hadn't been in remission. It was gone cured. But here it was again. So, you know, like even during that six years, I mean, you're still having the yearly scans. And so it got where most of that time we didn't think about it a lot. It didn't feel like, a you know, it was always in the background somewhere, but didn't feel like a real part of our lives. But after that, it did because then it was you know, pretty much constant scanning. And, you know, you get to go from scans every month to every three months to every six months to every year. To, oh, oh, no, it's back. Um, so you lose big chunks of time in there. His, his big um, symptom reaction to both the cancer and the chemo was bone exhaustion. Oh, yeah. And he was normally a high energy guy, exhausted. So we would, I kind of hate to say it this way, but we would lose a year or more every time because he didn't have the energy to go do anything. Barely had the energy to maybe go out for a ride just to get out of the house. And I wasn't about, I mean, I didn't, I did go out and do some things, but I wasn't about to leave him home alone. Sick. I mean, no, no. So it was, it was a really big factor in our lives that whole 18 years. Then April of last year, he developed this weird symptom to this day, none of the urologists or oncologists have ever seen it before. That was kind of the story of his cancers. They were always out of the textbook. They were anomalous. And it took from the middle of April until June 17th to find out what was going on for sure. And it turns out it was an it had no relationship with his earlier cancers. It was an extremely aggressive bladder cancer. He was in the hardest part of it, honestly, even more than his death, he was in horrendous, nearly unendurable pain for that five months. Um, and he was a trooper. I mean, he was. He didn't complain about it. And you know, he, we did it. That was always what I said to my guys. Okay, whatever's going to happen here, we're going to do it together. And we did. We did. Um, so anyway, we, we got the final word on June 17th. And um, he was hanging on because he knew my history of having close deaths right around very significant birthdays for me. Oh. And in sept September 4th, Labor Day weekend. Yeah, really, right? The plot thickens. Um, September 4th, which was Labor Day weekend last year, Saturday, was my 70th birthday. And he was determined to stay around for that. Uh, plus, we had family coming from some from my side and some of his kids um, over that weekend. And so he hung on, and, and he did. The kids went home Sunday noon. They flew back to Des Moines. Jan and Kurt, my sister and brother-in-law, stayed with me because obviously we're at end times here. By Tuesday morning, he, he was dead. Mm. Uh, so then are you thinking, I have been through this twice. WTF. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yep. Okay, yep. this is my question. You mentioned that you've been 41 years in recovery, correct? Mm -hmm. How in the world... Did you survive all of those things and not turn back? It's a really good question because sometimes people do um, relapse at, you know, the face of really bad pain. I remember um, 
recovering friends saying to both Jay and I, when son Ed, you know, 29, 30, and then just 31, clearly dying of this kidney cancer. Uh, you know, I, I don't know how you're doing this. If it were me, I'd drink. And uh, this is a plain old, I have no better explanation for this, plain old gift of God. Once it became clear to me that I was alcoholic and that I needed to not drink, I did completely and entirely turn that over. Actually, I had a little bit earlier, turned my entire life over to God. Said, your way or my, you're, you're, it's, it's your way or no way because... I already have track record that says I do a lot of things well and I screw up a lot of things. So <laughs> we're, we're, we get with your program, not mine. And it was shortly after that that I realized I needed to stop drinking. And in that whole package of just utter surrender, I mean, even now, 40 some years later, to the very best of my knowledge, I held nothing back, nothing. It was all on the table. And when, when you do that, um, not just my story, lots of people's, um, it's not guaranteed, but a common result of that is that you are never tempted to drink again. You don't even think about it. It doesn't sound good. Uh, and that's been my experience. Um, so I've never been good at, at endlessly resisting something I really want to do. So if the desire to drink to stay, had stayed with me, I wouldn't be at 41 years sober. I mean, I just never can last that long. But it was just, it was lifted. And I mean, now lifted, wow. gone. That's like a miracle, truly. It is a miracle, truly. And I don't use that word loosely. Yeah. How, what ways did you cope? You're a mental health professional. You, you have tools. What did you do? Okay. And I'm not going to read all of these to you, but one of the things I've done from actually even during his illness, I've, I've experienced a fair amount of abandonment in my life. Although in hindsight, I, already, I also pushed away people who were trying to reach out to me and care about me, but, you know, mostly felt very, very alone. And in earlier years, including God, didn't trust God after mom died. First, I fired God and then I completely wiped God out. Nope, atheist, not happening. So I, I had decided this a long time ago and had practiced it lots, but I re-decided because back in the worst of the bad old days, I didn't trust God. I didn't trust other people to be there for me. And I didn't, that, I mean, that left me to trust. And that was a really iffy proposition. So it's like this three-legged stool and I had no legs, right? <laughs> so I practiced over the years. We explained being on my butt in the dirt a lot. I, I mean, I practiced trusting, you know, all three, right? And I reasserted and repeatedly that going into this, especially with, it was his awful, awful pain that was the worst for me. And I could do nothing about it. And I know enough about healthcare systems and uh, insurance companies and policies and da, da da da. I kept pushing all the right buttons to get him appropriate care and kept ending up in blind alleys over and over and over. I mean, inexplicably, inexplicably, should not have happened. Um, but I decided I, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to trust others. I'm going to trust myself. And I, a mantra with me kind of for a very long time has been, you know, find a way forward, do something versus nothing. And especially when overwhelmed, think small and then pat yourself on the back for doing it instead of saying, oh, you only did that because that's what I would have done in earlier years. No, do something versus nothing, think small and then congratulate yourself for doing it. Oh. And 
And so that's pulled me Mic drop. (laughs) (laughs) We can end the interview. She gave us everything we needed to know. So it's also been real for me forever. In my 20s, I took a lot of crap from friends and fellow counselors. This is before post-its had been invented, I believe. And so I had little notes taped to on the inside of my door, my closet door, my bathroom mirror all the time. Not so much things I needed to do, all of that too, but kind of mental, emotional reminders of things. Because, you know, how do you build a habit? I mean, if it's an outward action, you keep repeating it, right? Well, if you want to shift your mindset and it's not part of your mindset, you're not going to find it in here. So I give myself external reminders that my eyeballs will run across multiple times a day. And then that eventually kind of gets it seated and seated in here where it becomes more automatic. So on my my um, electronic calendar, uh, a whole bunch of, because I'm retired, right? So a whole bunch of my day for each day, they're reminder things of, of, of the type I'm talking about. It finally got so cluttered that I couldn't find appointments to save me. So I move them over to reminders, uh, reflections. So I'm just going to read a few for you. This is kind of in chronological order uh, because I kept adding to them over time. And I move some of them off my page and move some new ones on. So choose to trust divine right order. Uh, Champions don't take shortcuts. Are you after comfort or greatness? Regular worship and praying for others. Again, head out of own butt. I'm not broken permanently. We had a great life together, and I'll have a great life going forward. Not that I'm in control of any of that or all the details, but, you know, generally. Uh, I put up here a reminder of the song, I Just Want to Celebrate Another Day of Living. (laughs) (laughs) Um, From the movie Freedom Writers, writers as in authors, cool movie. The dad character says to the protagonist, you've been blessed with a burden, my daughter. And that really spoke to me because a, it was true. And yet it was also the blessing of our marriage, which even knowing everything now, in a heartbeat, I would do again. I'd do it again. Mm. It was that kind of important and special and meaningful. Do I like the price of admission? No. No. <laughs> I would do it again. I would. I mean, you know, who likes this? That have to be a masochist. I love the idea of mantras. And I also love the idea of coming up with mantras for yourself and not letting other people prescribe mantras for you because mantras that you come up with yourself can be really personal and they don't have to make sense to anybody else. And, you know, sometimes when you hear other people's mantras, you're like, well, that's stupid, you know, like, or that's cheesy or whatever. Right. And it, but it speaks to them. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. And if you choose your own mantra and if you repeat that over and over and over and over again, at some point in time, hopefully, it's like you said, it gets into your brain. And I practice that a lot um, during races and things like that. You just get like a little phrase and you just keep repeating it, you know, in your mind over and over and over and over again until it just becomes like your focus and what you grab hold of. And so I love that you're like the mantra queen. Right. I, I really am. I've got this whole long list on my phone. Um, this one I picked up from my favorite online priest. Um, uh, that self-pity is my pride's protest that I'm not in charge. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Doesn't mean I don't still go there, but I try not to live there. Uh, I have a friend who says, stay in the lifeboat. Mm-hmm. Oh, good one. Am I going to show up with heart or shut down? Because those are my options. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, we all know you don't get to just turn off the, the icky feelings through my life, a hefty sense of adventure and curiosity. And so I've got a reminder there, adventure and curiosity, just to keep reminding me. Yeah. Or others that that I'm that I'm brave. God isn't done with me yet. I mean, there are I counted the other day, I've got probably seventy-five. Oh wow. On yeah. there. But I just so I don't look at all of them every day. Obviously, that'd be crazy by now. But at times, and like I say, have kind of cycled them in and out as new things capture my my mind and my heart as I go along. So wow. they're constantly fresh. I think that there's actually some like actual physiological validity to mantras like that too like when your brain fires those thoughts over and over and over your brain is a pattern maker and so when it makes that pattern pretty start pretty soon it's not just a made-up pattern it is a pattern within your brain so. it is i think a really important point here i just thought of this is because i threw mantras at myself for years that i you know, like they should be good things that should be a good thing to do but they weren't necessarily really speaking to me Mm-hmm. And I, they didn't seem to do anything for me. Um, after Jay died, I, I, you know, I know enough to say, okay, what am I grateful for? And I had things to be grateful for, but I was so beaten up. I, I wasn't, frankly. I didn't want to lose things like my house, but I can't say I was really grateful I had it. Um, and so, and I, I would write these lists of, you know, gratitude lists and just be left bereft, nothing better at all. And it dawned on me after a while that I wasn't, writing a gratitude list i was writing a list of what i knew i should be grateful for instead of what i was actually grateful for now i'm embarrassed to say that when i went to where i was actually grateful for there were only two items on the list and uh, initially and i can't even think what the second one was but breeze and wind have always been big for me for me they are the perfect point of both stimulation and relaxation Connie, I have a question for you because you have been through it. You are going through it. You help people through it. So you have seen the spectrum and worked with people on in all levels of loss and grief and addiction and recovery. And we're all humans and we all have feelings. And one of those feelings is guilt. And I'm wondering, what are your thoughts about that? So what actually happened, dear listeners, is that I reached (laughs) out to Anita and Mel about this topic because my heart had been broken reading or listening to somebody for the umpteenth time. So so here's the heartbreaker for me. Well, one of them. Um, Over and over, just as Americans, I, I would say we outrageously overuse the word guilt when, you know, I feel guilty. Um. And certainly in a, in a bereavement context, in a widow or widower context, you know, I feel guilty that I didn't, I don't know what I didn't, but I feel guilty, right? Um, and, and sometimes speakers on podcasts, different ones, will, will use the guilty word a lot. So I uh, grew up pretty much being guilt looking for a place to happen. <laughs> I apologize constantly, including, and I wish I were kidding, I'm not. If I was home alone and walked through a doorway and bumped into the door jam, I would reflexively apologize. I'm sorry. I mean, really, uh, wouldn't wish that on anybody. So I have had reason professionally, but also personally, to give this a whole lot of thought and work. And so here's here's my pitch to everybody. Um, the world, The word guilt rightly applies to moral wrongdoing. 
and therefore we should feel guilty. It's like an inner, you know, alarm system that hello, you're, you know, those those uh, systems in your car where if you go over the outer white <laughs> yeah. line, that's what my car does. So I think, so I think of of guilt feelings that way. It's an alert that okay, maybe you didn't do something wrong, but you ought to at least look. You know, give it give us some thought here because you maybe had to join the ditch. So, um, but so what I've discovered in my travels is I, I started saying to myself when I would hear myself thinking or saying, oh, I feel guilty. Okay, well, wait, quick time out. Do I mean moral wrongdoing? Okay, not that I don't engage in moral wrongdoing sometimes, but I'm pretty confident I can say 99% of the time that wasn't what I meant. And it even surprised me. It's, I mean, even though I was the one asking the question, the answer surprised me. Like, well, no, no, that's not what I mean. And so I went on to discover that I meant things like I'm second guessing myself. I'm thinking, what if I, you know, the what ifs, what if I had done this or what if I hadn't done that? If I had known then what I know now, in this case, honestly, it wouldn't have mattered, but, you know, that kind of thing. If I thought perhaps there was the tiniest possibility that I had offended somebody, I would feel, quote, guilty. Even when, as far as I knew, I hadn't done anything wrong, but maybe they just had reacted, you know, a tiny, tiny bit off. I'm let's face it, I'm pretty perceptive and sensitive. Um, I didn't really mean in those cases that I felt guilty. I meant I was afraid they weren't going to like me anymore. So everything I've just mentioned, second guessing, what if thing, uh, what if they don't like me anymore, all of those things. Kids, that's not guilt. That's anxiety. It's anxiety. And so here's what breaks my heart. As long as we keep framing it as guilt, then we, the, the corollary there is the natural next question is, what did I do wrong? Or what right thing did I not do? Right? Except that that's not really the issue. That's not really what happened. And so we're caught in this squirrel cage where we go over it and over it and over it and over it. I mean, thousands of times. But there's no way out because we're asking the wrong question. We didn't do something wrong. The right question is, am I feeling anxious? And what am I feeling anxious about right now? And then, of course, for many of us, Loss also brings with it trauma, which is related, but it's a separate it's a separate dimension that has to be dealt with differently to get some healing. Um, I'll come back to that in a minute. But if we could just all start recognizing and reminding each other, I do that sometimes on the Facebook page. I'll say, I, you know, I, 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 from what you've described here, I'm not sure you're describing wrongdoing. Is it more like, you know, what if, or maybe, or second guess, you know, that kind of thing. Um, because I think it's so important because it is, it's such an impossible trap when we get caught in that. There are ways to resolve guilt if indeed we identify something we did wrong. Okay, then you go apologize. You make amends. I said I'm sorry for so long that it became meaningless to me. So my personal favorite is to say I was wrong when I blah, blah. And say it to the person. I was wrong. And I'm sorry that I hurt you or, you know, or whatever. 
um, there are ways to cleanse and resolve that, uh, depending on how big it was. You know, the person may or may not reconcile with you. Usually they do. But, but there's a way to handle that. There's a way to negotiate that. But, and there are ways to negotiate anxiety. But it starts with recognizing that that's what you're dealing with. I also want to mention, because a lot of mine is also traumatic loss, and so each subsequent loss cues up more trauma. And for me, it was genuinely, it took me a long time to figure this out, but it was traumatic to watch him in that kind of pain. It was traumatic. Yeah. And even now, I, just thinking about that, when I, I'll start crying, it cues it up. And, um, and it occurred to me after some months, I was just calling it pain and grief. Well, okay, true but not totally true. So again, a classic example of, of not labeling, I'm kind of asking the wrong question. How do I resolve this pain? How do I resolve this grief? Okay, fair enough, but no, hello, you've got some trauma going on that needs attention. And it, would, I, it was so discouraging because I would just find myself, I've not been a crier most of my life up to the last 18, 19 months. I would be sobbing, sometimes in a fetal position, out of the blue. I'm going, what? I mean, it was not a way I've ever known myself. And, and it was dispiriting and discouraging. Um, so I finally realized, okay, no, wait, 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 this is trauma. Okay, so what I'm going to say next, I read in a book. I so wish I had known this when I was practicing as a counselor still. But, oh, well, live and learn. So, um my counselor, I'm in therapy, my counselor recommended a book called The Grief Recovery Handbook, the expanded edition. Uh, the authors are James and Friedman. And um, it was stuff that I knew. Uh, some, of it was, some of it was really helpful, even though I knew it and had done some of it before. So I'll give them that. But later in the book, they turned to trauma. And here's what they said that I hadn't heard before. When you're having a trauma reaction, Mostly all anybody's known to do is to try to breathe through it, acknowledge that it's trauma, but, you know, and, and identify some of the trauma triggers. But it's still, it's better than plan A, but it's not a great plan B, right? <laughs> what these guys say is when you realize you're in one of those, okay, identify the trauma trigger if you can, but specifically ask yourself very, very specifically, because I'm experiencing trauma is two fifty thousand foot view. You can't really work with that. Ask yourself right now, what specific particular things am I missing? What specific losses am I reacting to? And I'll be darned. Okay, I'll, I'll give me. I'm pretty practiced with this stuff, but I that stuff starts to resolve for me within minutes. When I ask myself those questions and I can identify the particulars because then I'm, and they're not things I can fix. Like I was unable to get him adequate help. Um, but at least I, I know it's my desire to love him well, to be good to and for him. That was just in, in many ways. I mean, it was there for him a lot, but in many ways was so sidetracked in spite of my best efforts. All right. So when you're saying, 
try and identify the specific loss. You're not saying like specifically my husband died. You're saying specifically, no, more specific than yeah, that. I'm missing this particular thing that right. he would do for me or our part of our relationship or the things that right. he would provide. I'm or, my, yeah. Okay. I'm missing my cheerleader. One of the things that has be, just shocked me. I knew that he gave me a great, I was always the one out front leading. I've got a lot of confidence in a lot of ways, but you know, natural alpha. I'm a firstborn. I'm, you know, <laughs> nothing I can do about it. <laughs> um, so on the surface, was the one leading the train a lot, and you know, and in many ways that was true. But I also drew a great deal of confidence from him. And again, man of few words. It wasn't so much what he said; it was his bear, his very bearing and presence. My often silent cheerleader. The best I can say it is he believed in me, and I don't mean omnisciently, obviously. But he believed in my goodness. He believed that I had a better self in there, even when I was being abysmal. (laughs) Um, And that steadied me. I just didn't know how much. So sometimes it's that I'm missing that steadiness. I miss that he would sometimes call me out when I was on kind of a tear about something. And he did it gently. He was, he was, uh, he participated in some discussion groups here at, at, at the compound and um, sometimes, and, you know, the rule was to be respectful, right? But sometimes people would get pretty vitriolic and interrupting each other and hostile, blah, blah, blah. This man had an absolute gift that that anybody in the groups with him knows and will still sometimes quote. And he would kind of, he would knock on the table because you couldn't get a word in it twice. He'd knock on the table loud enough to get their attention. And they'd say, all right, children, let's play nice in the sand pile. <laughs> And so it's it's such a it's such a sweet way of putting it, not you're all being jerks and stop it, right? That that I, I came to term it as he had a way of people calling them out, but also up to their better selves. Yeah. And people loved that and it helped. And he could do that same kind of thing with me occasionally. I I miss worshiping together. That really mattered to both of us. Um church is still the hardest place for me to be without him. And it took me months before I could you begin to go again. I'm so intrigued because when I have had these conversations, and Mel and I did a widow sode that was talking about this guilt, this idea of guilt and whether or not it's really guilt. Because in our in our everyday language, we label a lot of things as guilt. And like you said, they don't always match what guilt really is. And and I framed it in my own head as is it regret? Do I regret certain things? Absolutely. Like every human on the planet does regret those things, but I've never framed it as anxiety, which I think is a really interesting thing to think about. And anxiety, we've talked about this, is kind of future-based, right? Like we're worrying about what is going to happen. And I've and I've never thought about that because I think I've always thought of guilt as being in the past, right? I'm guilty about something that has happened. So I'm going to spend some time thinking about that because I think it's a really powerful idea that what you feel might be guilt is perhaps feelings of anxiety. It's worth asking the question. It's worth asking the question. So one of the things, so, you know, I, I mean, I turned 70 and he died two and a half days later. And um, not that I, I mean, I had a lot of anxiety at 46 too, although I don't think I had identified it that way. But my anxieties are different now now it's like i like to think i'm not into old age yet (laughs) but um but that brings and i don't have any children and not that they always step up for you but you know 
still got no children. I have one sister and we live halfway across the country from each other. She's in Arkansas. And so I get scared about old age. If It's not even really old age about if I hit a, 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 a you know, point where I'm feeble and frail and, you know, kind of need somebody in the house with ears on going, Oh, wait a minute. Did I just hear her fall? You know, that kind of thing. So I've done some things for myself. Mm-hmm. I've got an Apple watch because it's the only thing out there with a fall detector. Uh, I have a security system for a while. We have arrangements with, we, we live close to each other here. We kid about being the compound, but it kind of is. <laughs> so it's easy to get to each other's houses within minutes. Um, and I have a group of, of, of close friends. And so, you know, we have informed each other of each other's next of kin. Now, they're all married at this point. So next of kin is the husband. But okay, on the off chance that you both drop dead, you know, what, okay, so I know you've got a kid in Oregon, but, you know, what's your name and what's the number and all that stuff. So we have exchanged those kinds of things. And that that's helpful. That brings me some sense of security. Not the same thing as somebody under the roof. You know, but then the other truth is I don't want a roommate. So. There you go. There you go. Well, good news, Connie, because Mel's going to get you involved in Zelda. The what is it? The Breath of Breath of the Wild. The Breath of the Wild, and then you will be young once again, and so you won't have those same anxieties. <laughs> I think you're young anyway. You're not I have really a lot 70. of life left in me. I do. I know that. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. gotten kicked yeah. again. But, we can yeah. feel it. Yeah, which is why I said, really, I was only kidding about dying simultaneously because I'm not ready yet. You know, it was, it was, I will have a time, but it's not now. That was his time. Connie, thank you so much for reaching out to us to talk about that specific topic and also just sharing your story. I think that you've got a lot of, uh, you've got a lot of wisdom and it's come from some hard, hard lessons. So we really appreciate you spending some time with us. Mel, I think you have a question for her. There is some real loud banging outside my door. So ignore that and go, Mel. <laughs> Connie, what is your favorite cheese? I kind of suspected that was coming. <laughs> Um, okay. So uh, these days, you know, it varies in long periods of time. These days I'm into things that are soft and creamy. So currently I've been buying some very soft, creamy mozzarella uh, and doing some nice things with it. But I also recently bought some creamy feta. Um, I, I really like, I like the bite of feta, but when it's creamy, it's not as bitey. So those are my two top ones right now. We accept your so, answers. Yes. You you can stay. <laughs> Okay. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope that you will take some of the things that Connie has talked about and really examine them and think about some of the things in your own brain and what you're thinking and maybe some mantras and and use it going forward. Um, Remember to check out the Widow Wives Club. It's our Facebook group. Connie's in there. She might tell you to stop feeling guilty or labeling it as guilty. If you're there, just be warned. But I think it might be a good thing. If you want to keep the podcast going, come check out our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash WWDN. If you'd like to buy us tacos, go to buymeacoffee.com slash widow we do now. And until we get to talk to you again, I'm Anita. I'm Mel. I'm Connie. We are just two young widows and one widow sensei. And we are all (laughs) just trying to figure out widow. We do now. This is my favorite thing to discuss with you. Tell me, what is it? One of my favorite things. I do enjoy tacos and cheese and dogs. 
This is about how you cannot pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars for a phone plan, especially when you're a widow, your person is dead, you might have kids, you might need another option, and you just want your phone to work, you want unlimited texting and service, and you want it to be like 25 bucks a month. It blows my mind that they have plans that start at $15 a month. That is so cheap. And the cool thing is, is it uses other 5G networks. And so you don't have to pay extra for that. And you still get great service. Yep. Anita and I have traveled all over and I have used my phone. So I highly recommend it. And my mom's even on it. When my dad died, we put his phone down to the cheapest plan, which is $15 a month. And I think my mom's on the $20 a month plan and it's so worth it. It's so much cheaper than what we were all paying before. So I highly recommend it if you're on a budget or not, who cares? Ryan Reynolds is in charge of the company and they send you free stickers with Ryan Reynolds temporary tattoos. It's kind of the best. So if somebody wants to sign up, what can they do, Anita? Go to trymintmobile.com slash WWDN. Seriously, you guys, such a great idea. Save yourself some money. And if you're worried about losing data or having any changes with your phone, not going to happen. They walk you through it. Everything's fine. It's the easiest process of all time. Again, that's trymintmobile.com slash WWDN.